Chapters 1 and 2 of Tom Swift and His War Tank This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tom Swift and His War Tank by Victor Appleton Chapter 1 Past Memories Ceasing his restless walk up and down the room, Tom Swift strode to the window and gazed across the field toward the many buildings, where machines were turning out the products evolved from the brains of his father and himself. There was a worried look on the face of the young inventor, and he seemed preoccupied, as though thinking of something far removed from whatever it was his eyes gazed upon. "'Well, I'll do it!' suddenly exclaimed Tom. "'I don't want to, but I will. It's in the line of doing my bit, I suppose, but I'd rather it was something else. I wonder.' "'Ha! Up to your old tricks, I see, Tom.' exclaimed a voice, in which energy and friendliness mingled pleasingly. "'Up to your old tricks?' "'Oh, hello, Mr. Damon,' cried Tom, turning to shake hands with an elderly gentleman. That is, elderly in appearance, but not in action, for he crossed the room with the springing step of a lad, and there was the enthusiasm of youth on his face. "'What do you mean, my old tricks?' "'Talking to yourself, Tom.' and when you do that it means there is something in the wind. I hope, as a sort of side remark, it isn't rain that's in the wind, for the soldiers over at the camp have had enough water to set up a rival establishment with Mr. Noah. <laughs> but there's something going on, isn't there? Bless my memorandum book, but don't tell me there isn't, or I shall begin to believe I have lost all my deductive powers of reasoning. <laughs> I come in here, after knocking two or three times, to which you pay not the least attention, and find you mysteriously murmuring to yourself. The last time that happened, Tom, was just before you started to dig the big tunnel. No, I'm wrong. It was just before you started for the Land of Wonders, as we decided it ought to be called. You were talking to yourself then, when I walked in on you, and— Say, Tom! suddenly exclaimed Mr. Damon eagerly. "'Don't tell me you're going off on another wild journey like that. Don't!' "'Why?' asked Tom, smiling at the energy of his caller. "'Because if you are, I want to go with you, of course. And if I go, it means I'll have to start in as soon as I can to bring my wife around to my way of thinking. The last time I went, it took me two weeks to get her to consent, and then she didn't like it. So is it?' "'No, Mr. Damon.' interrupted Tom. I don't count on going on any sort of a trip, that is, any long one. I was just getting ready to take a little spin in the hawk, if you'd like to come along. You mean that saucy little airship of yours, Tom, that's always trying to sit down on her tail, or tickle herself with one wing? That's the hawk, laughed Tom. Though that tickling business you speak of is when I spiral, don't you like it? Can't say I do observed Mr. Damon dryly. "'Well, I'll promise not to try any stunts if you come along,' Tom went on. "'Where are you going?' asked his friend. "'Oh, no place in particular. As you surmised, I've been doing a bit of thinking, and—' "'Serious thinking, too, Tom,' 
interrupted Mr. Damon. "'Excuse me, but I couldn't help overhearing what you said. It was something about going to do something, though you didn't want to, and that it was part of your bit. That sounds like soldier talk. Are you going to enlist, Tom?' "'No.' "'Hm. Well, then?' "'It's something I can't talk about, Mr. Damon, even to you, as yet.' Tom said, and there was a new quality in his voice, at which his friend looked up in some surprise. "'Oh, of course, Tom, if it's a secret.' "'Well, it hasn't even got that far, as yet. It's all up in the air, so to speak. I'll tell you in due season. But, speaking of the air, let's go for a spin. It may drive some of the cobwebs out of my brain. Did I hear you say you thought it would rain?' "'No, it's as clear as a bell. I said I hoped it wouldn't rain for the sake of the soldiers in camp. They've had their share of wet weather, and goodness knows they'll get more when they get to Flanders. It seems to do nothing but rain in France.' "'It is damp,' agreed Tom. "'And, come to think of it, they're going to have some airship contests over at camp today, for the men who are being trained to be aviators, you know.' It just occurred to me that we might fly over there and watch them. "'Fine!' cried Mr. Damon. "'That's the very thing I should like. I'll take a chance in your hawk, Tom, if you'll promise not to try any spiral stunts.' "'I promise, Mr. Damon. Come on. I'll have Koku run the machine out and get her ready for a flight to camp. It's a good day for a jaunt in the air.' "'Get out the hawk, Koku.' ordered the young inventor, as he motioned to a big man, a veritable giant, who nodded to show he understood. Koku was really a giant, one of a race of strange beings, and Tom Swift had brought the big man with him when he escaped from captivity, as those will remember who have read that book. "'Going far, Tom?' asked an aged man, coming to the door of one of the many buildings of which the shed where the airship was kept formed one. "'Not very far, father,' answered the young inventor. "'Mr. Damon and I are going for a little spin over to Camp Grant "'to see some aircraft contests among the Army birdmen.' "'Oh, all right, Tom. "'I just wanted to tell you that I think I've gotten over that difficulty "'you found with the big carburetor you were working on. "'You didn't say what you wanted it for, "'except that it was for a heavy-duty gasoline engine.' and you couldn't get the needle-valve to work as you like. I think I've found a way. Good, Dad. I'll look at it when I come back. That carburetor did bother me, and if I can get that to work well, maybe we'll have something soon that will... But Tom did not finish his sentence, for Koku was getting the aircraft in operation, and Mr. Damon was already taking his place behind the pilot's seat, which would be occupied by Tom. "'All ready, are you, Koku?' asked the young inventor. "'All ready, master,' answered the giant. There was a roar like that of a machine-gun as the hawk's engine spun the propeller, and then, after a little run across the sod, it mounted into the air, carrying Tom and Mr. Damon with it. "'Mind you, Tom, no stunts,' called the visitor to the young inventor through the speaking-tube apparatus which enabled a conversation to be carried on, even above the roar of the powerful engine. "'Bless my overshoes, if you try looping the loop with me!' "'I won't do anything like that,' promised Tom. 
away they soared swift as a veritable hawk and soon after there had unrolled below their eyes a succession of fields and forests there came into view rows and rows of small brown objects among which beings like ants seemed crawling about there's the camp exclaimed tom i see and mr damon nodded as they approached they saw starting up from a green space amid the brown tents what appeared to be big bugs of a dirty white color splotched with green the aircraft and they have camouflage paint on said tom we can watch em from up here mr damon nodded though tom could not see him sitting in front of his friend as he was up and up circled the army aircraft and they seemed to bow and nod a greeting to the hawk which was soon in the midst of them tom and mr damon flying high though at no great speed looked at the maneuvers of the veterans and the learners many of whom might soon be engaging the boche in far-off france some of em are pretty good called tom through the tube that one fellow did the loop as prettily as i've ever seen it done and tom swift had a right to speak as one of authority tom and his friend watched the aircraft for some time and then started off in a long flight attaining a high speed which at first made mr damon gasp until he became used to it he was no novice at flying and had even operated airplanes himself though at no great height suddenly the hawk seemed to falter almost as does a bird stricken by a hunter's gun the craft seemed to hang in the air losing motion as though about to plunge to earth unguided what's the matter cried mr damon one of the control wires broken was tom's laconic answer i'll have to volplane down sit tight there's no danger mr damon knew that with so competent a pilot as tom swift in the forward seat this was true but nevertheless he was a bit nervous until he felt the smooth gliding motion with now and then an upward tilt which showed that tom was coming down from the upper regions in a series of long glides the engine had stopped and the cessation of the thundering noise made it possible for tom and his passenger to talk without the use of the speaking tube all right asked mr damon all right tom answered and a little later the machine was rolling gently over the turf of a large field a mile or so from the camp before tom and mr damon could get out of their seats a man seemingly springing up from some hollow in the ground walked toward them had an accident he asked in what he evidently meant for a friendly voice a little one easily mended tom answered he was about to take off his goggles but at sight of the man's face a change came over the countenance of tom swift and he replaced the eye protectors then tom turned to mr damon as if to ask a question but the stranger came so close evidently curious to see the aircraft at close quarters that the young inventor could not speak without being overheard tom got out his kit of tools to repair the broken control and the man watched him curiously as he tinkered away something was stirring among the past memories of the inventor a question he asked himself over and over again was where have i seen this man before his face is familiar but i can't place him he is associated with something unpleasant but where have i seen this man before end of chapter one 
Chapter 2. Tom's Indifference "'Did you make this machine yourself?' asked the stranger of Tom, as the young inventor worked at the damaged part of his craft. Mr. Damon had also alighted, taken off his goggles, and was looking aloft, where the Army aircraft were going through various evolutions, and down below where the young soldiers were drilling under such conditions, as far as possible, as they might meet when some of their number went over the top. Mr. Damon was murmuring to himself such remarks as, "'Bless my fountain pen! Look at that chap turning upside down! Bless my inkwell!' "'I beg your pardon,' remarked Tom Swift, following the remark of the man, whose face he was trying to recall. It was not that Tom had not heard the question, but he was trying to gain time before answering. "'I asked you if you made this machine yourself.' went on the man as he peered about at the hawk. It isn't like any I've ever seen before, and I know something about airships. It has some new wrinkles on it, and I thought you might have evolved them yourself. Not that it's an amateur affair, by any means, he added hastily, as if fearing the young inventor might resent the implication that his machine was a homemade product. Yes, I originated this, answered Tom, as he put a new turnbuckle in place, but I didn't actually construct it, that is, except for some small parts. It was made in the shop. Over at the Army construction plant, I presume, interrupted the man quickly as he motioned toward the big factory, not far from Shopton, where aircraft for Uncle Sam's army were being turned out by the hundreds. Might as well let him think that, mused Tom at least until I can figure out who he is and what he wants. This is different from most of those up there, and the stranger pointed towards the circling craft on high. A bit more speedy, I guess, isn't it? Well, yes, in a way, agreed Tom, who was leaning over his craft. He stole a side look at the man. The face was becoming more and more familiar, yet something about it puzzled Tom Swift. I've seen him before, and yet he didn't look like that, thought the young inventor. It's different somehow. Now why should my memory play me a trick like this? Who in the world can he be? Tom straightened up and tossed a monkey wrench into the toolbox. Got everything fixed? asked the stranger. I think so. And the young inventor tried to make his answer pleasant. It was only a small break, easily fixed. "'Then you'll be on your way again.' "'Yes. Are you ready?' called Tom to Mr. Damon. "'Bless my timetable, yes. I didn't think you'd start back again so soon. There's one young fellow up there who has looped the loop three times, and I expect him to fall any minute.' "'Oh, I guess he knows his business,' Tom said easily. "'We'll be getting back now.' "'One moment,' called the man. I beg your pardon for troubling you, but you seem to be a mechanic, and that's just the sort of man I'm looking for. Are you open to an offer to do some inventive and constructive work? Tom was on his guard instantly. Well, I can't say that I am, he answered. I am pretty busy. This would pay well, went on the man eagerly. I'm a stranger around here, but I can furnish satisfactory references. I am in need of a good mechanic, an inventor as well, 
who can do what you seem to have done so well. I had hopes of getting someone at the army plant. I guess they're not letting any of their men go, said Tom, as Mr. Damon climbed to his seat in the hawk. No, I soon found that out, but I thought perhaps you? Tom shook his head. I'm sorry, he answered, but I'm otherwise engaged and very busy. One moment, called the man as he saw Tom about to start. Is the Swift Company plant far from here? Tom felt something like a thrill go through him. There was an unexpected note in the man's voice. The face of the young inventor lightened, and the doubts melted away. No, it isn't far, Tom answered, shouting to be heard above the crackling bangs of the motor. And then, as the craft soared into the air, he cried exultingly, I have it! I know who he is! The scoundrel! His beard fooled me, and he probably didn't know me with these goggles on. But now I know him. Bless my calendar! cried Mr. Damon. What are you talking about? But Tom did not answer, for the reason that just then the hawk fell into an air pocket and needed all his attention to straighten her out and get her on a level course again. And while Tom Swift is thus engaged in speeding his aircraft along the upper regions toward his home, it will take but a few moments to acquaint my new readers with something of the history of the young inventor. Those who have read the previous books in this series need be told nothing about our hero. Tom Swift was an inventor of note, as was his father. Mr. Swift was now quite aged and not in robust health, but he was active at times and often aided Tom when some knotty point came up. Tom and his father lived on the outskirts of the town of Shopton, and near their home were various buildings in which the different machines and appliances were made. Tom's mother was dead, but Mrs. Baggert, the housekeeper, was as careful in looking after Tom and his father as any woman could be. In addition to these three, the household consisted of Eradicate Sampson, an aged colored servant, and it might almost be added, his mule Boomerang. But Boomerang had manners that at times did not make him a welcome addition to any household. Then there was the giant Koku, one of two big men Tom had brought back with him from the land where the young inventor had been held captive for a time. The first book of this series is called Tom Swift and His Motorcycle, and it was in acquiring possession of that machine that Tom met his friend Mr. Wakefield Damon, who lived in a neighboring town. Mr. Damon owned the motorcycle originally, but when it attempted to climb a tree with him, he sold it to Tom. Tom had many adventures on the machine, and it started him on his inventive career. From then on he had had a series of surprising adventures. He had traveled in his motorboat, in an airship, and then had taken to a submarine. In his electric runabout he showed what the speediest car on the road could do, and when he sent his wireless message, the details of which can be found set down in the volume of that name, Tom saved the castaways of Earthquake Island. Tom Swift had many other thrilling escapes, one from among the diamond makers and another from the caves of ice, and he made the quickest flight on record in his sky racer. Tom's wizard camera, his great searchlight, his giant cannon, his photo telephone, his aerial warship and the big tunnel he helped to dig brought him credit, fame, and not a little money. 
he had not long been back from an expedition to Honduras, dubbed the Land of Wonders, when he was again busy on some of his many ideas, and it was to get some relief from his thoughts that he had taken the flight with Mr. Damon on the day the present story opens. "'What are you so excited about, Tom?' asked his friend, as the hawk alighted near the shed back of the young inventor's home. "'Bless my scarf-pin! But anyone would think you'd just discovered the true method of squaring the circle.' "'Well, it's almost as good as that, and more practical,' Tom said with a smile, as he motioned to Koku to put away the aircraft. "'I know who that man is now.' "'What man, Tom?' the one who was questioning me when I was fixing the airship. I kept puzzling and puzzling as to his identity, and all at once it came to me. Do you know who he is, Mr. Damon? No, I can't say that I do, Tom. But, as you say, there was something vaguely familiar about him. It seemed as if I must have seen him before, and yet... That's just the way it struck me. What would you say if I told you that man was Blakeson, of Blakeson and Grinder, the rival tunnel contractors who made such trouble for us? You mean down in Peru, Tom? Yes. Mr. Damon started in surprise, and then exclaimed, Bless my ear-mufflers, Tom, but you're right. That was Blakeson. I didn't know him with his beard, but that was Blakeson all right. Bless my foot-warmer. What do you suppose he's doing around here? I don't know, Mr. Damon, but I'd give a good deal to know. It isn't any good. I'll wager on that. He didn't seem to know me or you either, unless he did and didn't let on. I suppose it was because of my goggles, and you were gazing up in the air most of the time. I don't think he knew either of us. It didn't seem so, Tom. But what is he doing here? Do you think he's working at the army camp, or helping make Liberty Motors for the aircraft that are going to beat the Germans? Hardly. He didn't seem to be connected with the camp. He wanted a mechanic, and hinted that I might do. Jove, if he really didn't know who I was, and finds out, say, won't he be surprised? Rather, agreed Mr. Damon. Well, Tom, I had a nice little ride, and now I must be getting back. "'But if you contemplate a trip anywhere, don't forget to let me know.' "'I don't count on going anywhere soon,' Tom answered. "'I have something on hand that will occupy all my time, though I don't just like it. "'However, I'm going to do my best.' And he waved good-bye to Mr. Damon, who went off blessing various parts of his anatomy or clothing, an odd habit he had. As Tom turned to go into the house, the unsettled look still on his face— Someone hailed him. "'I say, Tom, hello! Wait a minute, I've got something to show you.' "'Oh, hello, Ned Newton,' called back the young inventor. "'Well, if it's Liberty Bonds, you don't need to show me any, for Dad and I will buy all we can without seeing them.' "'I know that, Tom, and it was a dandy subscription you gave me. I didn't come about that, though I may be around the next time Uncle Sam wants the people to dig down in their socks.' This is something different. And Ned Newton, a young banker of Shopton and a lifelong friend of Tom's, drew a paper from his pocket as he advanced across the lawn. There, Tom Swift, 
he cried, flipping out an illustrated page, evidently from some illustrated newspaper. "'There's the very latest from the other side. A London banker friend of mine sent it to me, and it got past the censor all right. It's the first authentic photograph of the newest and biggest British tank. Isn't that a wonder?' Ned held up the paper which had in it a full-page photograph of a monster tank, those weird machines travelling on endless steel belts of caterpillar construction, armoured, riveted and plated, with machine-guns bristling here and there. "'Isn't that great, Tom? Can you beat it? It's the most wonderful machine of the age, even counting some of yours. Can you beat it?' Tom took the paper indifferently, and his manner surprised his chum. "'Well, what's the matter, Tom?' asked Ned. "'Don't you think that great? Why don't you say something? You don't mean to say you've seen that picture before?' "'No, Ned.' "'Then what's the matter with you? Isn't that wonderful?' End of chapter 2